Well, we're turning in our Bibles, please, to the book of Genesis again, uh, the book of Genesis and the chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, and we're turning to the verse 9. We're going to be thinking uh, under the title today, Christmas in Genesis, Christmas in Genesis. I think we're going to have to rely you men at the back to do the clicking for the PowerPoint. Uh, thank you. Uh, Christmas in Genesis, we're turning to Genesis chapter 3 and the verse 9 please and this is the word of the Lord and we read here and the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him where art thou? and he said, that is Adam I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow, and thy conception in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, in sorrow thy, thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. And the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. We trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to each of our hearts. These are truly very serious verses. As the Lord speaks with Adam and Eve in the garden after their sin. As we opened our studies in this chapter last week, we considered Satan himself. Our cruel enemy who deceives and schemes and plans and roars like a lion, yet is subtle as a snake. He's the father of lies. He's, he's the prince of this world. He's, he's the god of this age. We, we thought about his strategy, how, how subtle he is as he twists God's word and seeks to cause us to question God's word. And he gets into our minds and he gets into our hearts. That's what he did to Eve, isn't it? 
He subtly questioned God's word. He used the same language that God had used in chapter 2 and twisted it and caused Eve to ask questions. Then we thought about last week the tragedy. Eve took the fruit, giving in to temptation, of course gave it to Adam, who also ate the fruit. And how in these days we must be so careful that, that we don't walk with the devil's crowd as his people, allowing the devil to so subtle compromise into our lives, allowing our feet to take us to places that we know we shouldn't be, because very soon it will lead us to us giving in to the temptation, and we'll be standing and even sitting with the devil's crowd too. This morning we come to think of this title, Christmas in Genesis. We may, we may never have given any thought to discovering Christmas in Genesis. And what I want to do today as we anticipate Christmas in just two weeks now is to just do that. Look at these verses before us in Genesis because in these verses we find the root of Christmas. Strictly speaking, we look at these verses uh, and we see the Lord Jesus. Uh, since the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the centre of Christmas, and we want to see the Lord Jesus in these verses, that's our desire each time we meet in this place. Now suppose my text this morning, if there were to be one, and we'll get to this later on, would be the 15th verse of this chapter. This is the text that speaks of our Saviour, that speaks of Christmas, how the Lord, the reason why the Lord Jesus would come. This is the first promise of a Messiah coming, and God says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, speaking to the serpent, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And we'll explore that verse a little later on and all that that means and we'll unpack it. I'm sure you'll know the song from The Sound of Music uh, where they sing at one point, let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. And when we think of, in terms of the gospel, the story of all that God has done in and through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, we find ourselves right at the very beginning here in these verses. The hint of a coming redeemer, the one who is the seed of the woman. And of course, that is a very good place to start. This is the first mention of the gospel in the entire Bible. The first mention of the gospel. It didn't start with Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. It didn't start in Isaiah. It didn't start with the psalmist David. The first mention of salvation in the Saviour is found right here in our passage. This is the promise of Christmas. This is the first mention that a Saviour would come to this earth and deal with the consequences of sin. Last week we thought about the devil who had already sinned in heaven, had risen up against God in heaven and led the revolt against God. And in the very presence of God, he rallied a third of all the angels. And how persuasive the devil must be to be able in the very presence of God in heaven to convince a third of the angels to follow me and not him who is on the throne. And God said, you'll not be any here any longer. And he cast him out. And we find him here now, the power, he's the power behind the serpent that we thought about last week. And as the devil now speaks through the serpent, he is beguiled and seduced and tempted and lured Eve, who in turn influenced her husband to, in this act of treason against Almighty God. And as soon as Adam and Eve committed this sin, they were immediately aware of their guilt and their shame. And they went and hid themselves from God. And I want to begin in verse 9 this week. That's where we finished last week. 
And I want you to note, firstly, the consequences of sin. The consequences of sin. Here God takes the initiative. God calls out in the garden. Look at the verse. And the Lord God called unto Adam. Now you need to understand this word called. It's a very strong word. It's like a a mother calling for her children when the dinner is ready. It's a Hebrew word that means to utter with a loud sound. It it means to shout, to to roar. The word was used, for example, in Jonah 3 verse 4. When Jonah went through Nineveh and cried out for 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And so God, with all the authority that belongs to him, he he called out with a loud voice. He didn't whisper, he didn't mumble, but with a loud voice, he called out to the man, not to the woman, but to the man who is responsible for this relationship. And he said to him, where art thou? Now the purpose of the question was not for God to gain information. God knew where they were. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He knew exactly where Adam and Eve were hiding. In Hebrews 4 verse 13, we're told, And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we all must answer. The reason God calls out asking the question in this way is not because he needs to know where they are. He has that information already, but it's in order that he might be able to express his justice and his love and his appeal in this day of reckoning. So it was there. In the, so there's this disruption now and this brokenness in the fellowship between Adam and God. And God wants Adam to come out and face his sin and see its horrible consequences. Why did God come as he did here? I mean, God would have had a right to stop Adam and Eve from breathing the moment they sinned. And that were a word and it would have been done. You see, God still loved them. And even though they disobeyed them, if, if, if God didn't love them, well, what hope would any of us have? There'd be no hope. If God did not love the rebel, if God did not call to us through his word, we would never have realized our own sinful condition and we would never have trusted in him. He calls out these questions to Adam out of an expression of mercy. That's how God works. But as God asks the question, Adam knowing that he can't hide any longer, he speaks and I want you to see Adam's cowardice. He's a coward. Look at what he says. Adam comes out from the shadows in verse 10. And he says, I heard thy voice in the garden. And I was afraid. And rightly so. He should have been afraid. Adam felt guilty. And you know why? Because he was guilty. And guilt is a good thing because guilt lets you know that there's something wrong with your soul. Guilt is really like a pain to the body. And pain is a good thing because it lets you know, for example, that you have a broken ankle. You don't want to continue to walk on your ankle if it's broken. The pain is sending out a signal that you've got to stop and you you need to take care of this right now. And that's exactly what guilt does to the soul. Adam was afraid. He was guilty before God. It means he had a troubled conscience and he was filled with dread and he was terrified. And you you know, for the unbeliever, the greatest fear that they should have 
when in facing God as his holiness. God, in this moment, was the last thing that Adam wanted to encounter. He didn't want God to find them. For the same reason that a thief doesn't want to find a policeman, Adam, is, in this moment, doesn't want to find God. His conscience is killing him, and rightly so. And Adam's afraid, and he says something else. Look at verse 10 again. He says, And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid myself. Well, Adam's been naked from the day he was born. He's never worn clothes, but now he's painfully aware of his nakedness. And he has this new self-awareness now that, that he's defiled and he's polluted and he's sinful and he's full of shame and he's naked and there's no covering for his guilty heart and there's no covering for his guilty soul and there's nothing in between his sin and a holy God. Do you know how many people today are running around hiding in trees of their own rebellion today? Trying to cover up their own shame. Trying to actually cover up in some measure the religion itself, their religious, sinful religious system. Maybe if I could go there, maybe if I could do this, maybe if I could attempt that, I could cover all my sin up. And maybe, maybe you're living like this. And you lie in your bed and you think to yourself, this cover up stuff doesn't work. God still sees me. Of course it doesn't work. That's our verse here. God knew where they were. God knows where you are, my friend. God knows your heart. And God calls out the Adam and Eve. And you know, that's a gracious thing. You might think God coming to confront Adam and Eve is a terrible thing here, but it was the most gracious thing he could do. Because God was causing them to turn and to face their sin and the reality of their sin. They're fearful now in their sin and they're fully aware of their guilt and sin. And they can run, but they can't hide from God. And dear friend, I don't know your heart. You can run as far as you want, but you can't hide from God. I want you to see the conviction of sin here. Verse 11 we read, and he said, God, who told you? Who told thee that thou was naked? Who told you that you were naked? Well, Eve certainly didn't. And Adam certainly didn't. And the serpent didn't. And God hadn't. And the answer to this question, well, it was, who told you you were naked? The, the, answer, the answer is, Adam told himself. It, it was his own guilty conscience. was throbbing like a headache. And there's no relief for him anywhere. And it's, it was Adam's own innate sense of right and wrong that told him that you're naked. And the next question is, have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Well, that's not really a question, is it? That's a statement. It's like sometimes when Lucy says to me in the house, are you going to empty the bin? And I know that's not a question. That's a statement. It's more of a Peter, the bin is going to overflow soon. And it's time to empty the bin, please. And normally when I hear that question, I do oblige. And I spring into action, in case you're wondering. It's the same kind of question here in Scripture. I mean, you walk about, you talk about a revealing question. Have you eaten from the tree? 
which I commanded you not to eat. That is to say, Adam, I know. I know that you've eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat. And God is like an accusing lawyer here, bringing charges against the one who is guilty in the high court of heaven. And in the courts today, what happens is an accusing lawyer will ask questions, accusing questions for the guilty one to confess. And that's what God is doing here. He's asking questions of Adam so that he sees his sin and he sees his guilt. No one will ever be converted until they know their condition on their sin, until they are convicted by the Spirit of God. No one will ever desire good news, which will be in verse 15, until they know the bad news. And no one will ever be saved until they know they're lost. And no one will ever have salvation until they're first convicted of sin, not convicted of loneliness, not not convicted of being insecure. No, conviction of sin. The breaking of God's moral law without conviction of sin, no one will ever enter into the kingdom of God. In John 16 we read this, God has sent the Holy Spirit into the world to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. When you were converted, God pinned you down and brought charges against your heart as you listened to the gospel message proclaimed through his word. You were convicted of your sin through hearing God's word and that's the work of the Holy Spirit graciously and lovingly exposing your heart before God that you see you're a sinner and you're far from him. And God allows us to see ourselves in that way that we might be saved. That in turn drives us to the cross. And it drives us to the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God. Until sin is acknowledged, the good news will be no use. I want you to see Adam's concealment as well. We've seen his cowardice, he was afraid. But look at verse 12. And the man said... Here comes the finger pointing. And the man said, the woman who thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. That's called passing the buck. What's he saying? Who me, God? It's not me. It's that woman that you gave me. Have you ever noticed how we always want to point in the other direction? I remember when I was teaching in school. If two boys had a fight in the playground at break time and it was reported to me at the end of break, they would have been brought to my desk. And when we got back to the classroom and nine times out of ten when I asked the question, what happened, the reply would come, but he started it. One would blame the other. Neither would take responsibility for their own wrongdoing. And Adam's blaming Eve. And in verse 13, Eve is blaming the serpent. And they were both covering up and they're trying to conceal their sin. They were hiding behind others and they were hiding behind their circumstances. And I'll tell you it straight today, this concealment is still in the human heart. It's still in each of us today. It seems today, in society especially, that no one wants to assume responsibility for their sins. They want to play the blame game. Well God, you made me this way. It's the parents you gave me. That's why my life has gone astray. It's the gender you made me. I didn't want that. God, that's your fault. It's the siblings I grew up with. It's the school that I attended. It's the wife. It's the husband you gave me. It's my DNA, my family DNA that's in me. That's my problem. And people blame anything, but they won't own up to their actual sin. You know, there was someone 
sitting in this congregation today not so long ago, shared their testimony with me. And they said that before they were saved, they blamed everybody else for their circumstances. Until one day they realised, hold on a minute, it's me. I'm responsible for how I lived. And that's the moment when they faced up to their sin, they realised they needed a saviour and they got saved. And it's when we're blaming everything else that we'll never acknowledge our sin. Whatever is the foul excuse that's being offered, we live in a society today of victims. No one will stand up and say, it's me. It's me, O oh Lord, I'm a filthy sinner. They'll say it's the prime minister you gave us in this country, it's the politics you gave us, it's anything but me. It all started right here with Adam. It's in the bloodstream. It's been passed down to every child at the moment of conception when we enter into this world with lies and passing the responsibility to someone else. I think we need to look hard at ourselves and see to what extent, even as a Christian, do I continue to pass the blame and fail to confess my sin before God. But it's them. It wasn't me, God. In verses 14, right down to verse 19, in rapid order, God pronounces curses. And in verse 14, he pronounces a curse on the serpent. And he says to the serpent, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. What's he saying? You're going to be disfigured. You're going to be on the dust, in the dust all the days of your life. That's what sin does to human beings too. It disfigures you and it puts you in the dust. And then to the woman, uh, he, he says, and we'll go back to verse 15 and verse 16 to the woman, he says, he says, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception and sorrow thou shalt bring forth children and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee, pain and childbearing. And then to the man, he says, in verse 17 because you have hearkened unto the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee saying thou shalt not eat of it cursed is the ground for thy sake in sorrow shalt thou eat all the days of thy life what he's saying is this now you're going to have to work a living out of a reluctant earth now work is going to be toilsome now work is going to be backbreaking and he says thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee listen friends every time you go to your garden or into your flowers and you pull a weed out you know what that's a reminder of I'm a sinner and I need a saviour every time you reach over and you pluck a beautiful rose and you prick your finger with a thorn that's a reminder I'm a sinner and I need a saviour Dear friends, this is the consequences of sin. I want you to see, and I want to focus in on this, we mentioned it briefly, but I do want to look closely at the curse of Satan. Look at verse 14 again. The Lord says to the serpent, uh, the, the, the curse is pronounced on, a ser on the serpent, but it's more than just the serpent, it's the power behind the serpent. It's, it's the dark, sinister power that's speaking through the serpent. It's, it's the stunning intelligence of a superpower behind the serpent that's so easily dismantling the human, human race at its very outset. And the Lord, he turns to this serpent, and reality, he's speaking to Satan himself, the power behind the serpent. And, and he says, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed. 
Thou art cursed above all the cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon, upon thy belly shalt thou go and, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And the, Lord, and the Lord God curses Satan. One sin in this earth and he's cursed. Now I want to tell you something. People want a soft gospel today in pulpits and in churches where we only have the love of God. Just think about this. One sin. One sin. And eternal death has come to the entire human race. We don't understand how holy God is. We don't know how bad our sin is before a holy God. But, but we see it here loud and clear. One sin. And eternal death came upon all men. The curse will come upon Satan. The curse will come upon the woman. The curse will come upon Adam. And the serpent here is to be understood as more than a snake. His ability to speak in the vile things that he says is a clear indication of that. And we read through the Bible that Satan speaks through men. And he, and he, he is the power behind the throne of evil world rulers. And right now at this very moment Satan is bringing to bear his influence of darkness and depravity upon, a, upon our world rulers to compromise God's order. He is the power behind false teachers and false prophets and false religious leaders. 1 Timothy 4.1 speaks of seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And John 8.44, the Lord Jesus said to the Pharisees, You're of your father the devil, and the lust of him you shall do. For he was a liar from the beginning. Behind every false teacher and behind every false religious leader is the devil. And the devil even speaks through Christians and through believers. He spoke through Peter, did he not? In Matthew 16, 23, after the Lord Jesus announced that he was going to the cross, Peter said, oh Lord, may it never be. What did the Lord Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Satan was speaking right through Peter. When we read through the book of Acts, when the church was thriving, when the church was growing, Satan always wants to infiltrate from the inside, from inside the purity of the church. And Satan filled the heart of Ananias and Sapphira. And in Acts chapter 5 verse 3, and Peter's, Peter said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? It's no problem believing that the devil spoke through the serpent, but he's continuing to speak, speak through God's creatures in this present day. He's promoting false religion. He's deceiving the nations. He's blinding the eyes of unbelievers. He's sending out false prophets. He's holding unbelievers captives to do his will, tempting believers and luring them into sin. He, he's inciting persecution against believers. He's aligning governments across this world against the true church. He's sowing tares among the wheat. He's snatching God's words from hearts as soon as it's been sown. And prayer meetings are empty across this land. And we're not calling out to God the way we should. I want to tell you something. When you take a break from prayer, or when you miss it, the devil's not taking a break. When you take a break from your Bible reading, the devil's not taking a break. Dear Christian, the devil is busy in these days. And he's weakening the church of Christ. And we need to be on our knees. 
And as a fellowship, we need to be together, crying out to God on Wednesday nights and before our meetings, because the devil hates every time we meet in this place. We need to be crying out to God, because the only one that the devil quakes and fears is God. As we finish this this morning, I do want you to see Christmas in Genesis. The promised Messiah is found in verse 15. And I will put enmity, hostility between you talking to the devil and the woman and between thy seed, that's Satan's seed, and her seed. It, that's the woman's seed, shall bruise thy head and thou, Satan, shall bruise his heel. So in the middle of verse 15, this extraordinary prophecy A declaration by God the Father of what's to come. It's the pronouncement of the coming Messiah, the coming Saviour of the world. It's the introduction into human history of this truth of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here it is very clearly at the outset of the Bible. He shall bruise your head. And he refers to none other than the Lord Jesus Christ who would be the seed of the woman and he would be born of a virgin and he would enter into the human race and he would become as one of us and he would have flesh and blood and a body like you and I and he shall bruise Satan's head. The word shall indicates the certainty of it and the bruise literally out of the Hebrews means to crush, to batter the crushing force that Christ will bring upon the devil on that day at Calvary. It will be like repeated with many blows. Ultimately, it's it's the cross that this happens. He shall bruise you, the devil, on the head. And this is the metaphor for this devastating blow that will be inflicted upon Satan at the cross. From which the devil would never recover. It was a terrible loss for Satan at Calvary. When the world looks to the cross, they see defeat. When you and I look to the cross, we see nothing but victory and triumph. The Lord Jesus was not a victim. He was a victor at the cross. He crushed the head of the serpent. First John 3, 8, the Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil it was the one on one collision and his death and at his death the Lord Jesus devastated the devil. Now the end of verse 15 we read that thou shalt bruise his heel speaking that Satan would bruise Christ's heel. And it's the same word here for bruise referring to the Lord Jesus but it would be in the heel. Not in the head but the heel. The difference is the Lord Jesus will crush the head of the serpent at the cross. The serpent will bruise the heel of Christ. It was a blow from which Christ will recover. It was not the head, the heel. And it was the foreshadowing of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. He would come back to life. And it will not be a final defeat. It was a victory at the cross. And he will come back to life. And he will rule and he will reign. And he will be the saviour of his people. And he will be seated at the right hand of the Father and High. And whosoever shall call upon his name shall be saved. And all authority in heaven and earth, says the Lord Jesus, has been given unto me. God could have just left Adam hiding, you know, that day. Run away with him. He disobeyed him, could have cast him straight into hell. Just left him there naked in his shame 
And what we'll eventually see at the end of chapter 3 is God will clothe Adam with the skin of an animal. It will be a foreshadowing of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There is mercy and there is grace. Even for the man who committed the original sin. Where sin does abide, grace does much more abide. If you're here today or if you listen in online, you're not trusting Christ as Saviour, there's no need for you to keep hiding. There's no need for you to keep arm's distance from God for whatever reason the Lord has brought you here today. The gates of heaven are swung open today. God has provided the way of salvation for you through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, coming to this world. If you've never trusted Christ by faith, if you've never believed in the Lord Jesus, behold now is the accepted time. Behold now is the day of salvation. Come to Christ today. Because if you have Christ, you have everything. If you don't have Christ, you don't have anything. It's time to come out of hiding and face your sin. Dear Christian, today don't think you're getting away with it. Because let me remind you that Adam had perfect fellowship with the Lord in the garden. Therefore we could look upon him as a little like a saved man, except he didn't need saved. And yet he sinned and he marred his fellowship with God. And in marring his fellowship with God, he had Maybe, believer, your fellowship's been marred for a long, long time. Maybe you haven't been walking as you should have. Maybe you're hardly walking at all. Maybe, metaphorically speaking, you're hiding in the trees in the Garden of Eden. You're hiding from God. Come out from the hiding. Face your sin. And restore your fellowship with God. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're going to sing together as we close this part of our service. We're going to sing there is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. Thank you, O my Father, for sending us your Son and leaving your Spirit to the work on earth is done. We've seen how it was announced in Genesis that Christ would come. We're in December, Christmas time, when we celebrate the birth of our Saviour who came to this world. And he came to be the Redeemer, the one who would redeem us from our sin.